Good morning, everybody. If you haven't been with us, let me let you know and catch you up to speed real quick. We've been in this series called Lit Church. Are you with me this morning? Can you say Lit? You're welcome for being able to say that in church in the name of Jesus. All right. The series we're in right now is called Lit. We began this series just a few weeks ago, and as we near the conclusion, allow me to catch you up with where we've been. Week one, we talked about in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And as he created man and woman in his own image, as we reach the climax and the pinnacle of the creation account, God's full and clear intention for creation, God's clear and full intention for man and woman alike was to exist in the light. But as we talked in week two, we discovered that that's not our reality today, is it? Something has happened. We have actively twisted the light and we have allowed darkness to enter into our world. And then last week, we talked about God's constant pursuit of his children, trying desperately to bring them back to himself, bring them back to the truth, bring them back to the light. And yet, we have this weird instinct to keep running away from the light this week as we near the conclusion of our series you can find me in the book of first kings it's in the old testament if you open up to the middle it's before that and you'll find me in chapter 19 which is pretty much the middle of that book If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go to the table of contents and find it. If you don't, that's okay. No need to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and or Twitter while we speak. We're just going to go ahead and throw it up on this screen right here. Yeah, I'm watching you. So 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read a little bit today. Is that all right with y'all? You're okay if I read for a little bit? You're okay with covering a, a, a wider uh, uh, range of verses today, right? Last week I gave you one verse. You remember what that one verse was? Of course you don't. Go back on YouTube or the website and watch it. But listen, this time we're going to go a little bit more. We're going to overcompensate for the fact that we only got to one verse last week. We're going to go 18 verses this week. That's okay with you, right? All right, let's read this story. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, I'm about to kill you. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. You can't make this stuff up. And he ate and drank 
And he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And this is where the text may get a little familiar. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. And the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shapheth. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Whew. In April, in April of 2018, my friend James and I um, flew down to Memphis, Tennessee. Good barbecue. I don't know if you heard. But we were there to observe and to celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the death of of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. We stood... On that day in April 2018, we stood at the Lorraine Motel on the 50-year anniversary of the day and the place where MLK was shot and killed. The crowd was gathered, but it was completely silent. As we stood and we all just stared at the wreaths that had been displayed where MLK's body once lied. Dr. Russell Moore said of those reeds, he said those reeds can be misleading though. Because Dr. Martin Luther King preached a beloved community, but he was not a beloved preacher in an awful lot of communities. As a matter of fact, 
Dr. Moore will continue. It's all too easy for us to think right now that the hatred directed toward Dr. King and his message was limited to that bullet that felled him at the Lorraine Motel. Dr. Moore will go on to explain that the overall acceptance rate of MLK and his message amongst white Christians was less than that of the premier of the Soviet Union. And that's a real statistic. In other words, white people, we weren't fooling with it. We weren't okay with it. We weren't rocking with the message. And Dr. Moore would later suggest that perhaps the only reason that the majority of us can accept it and celebrate it now is because he's been dead for 50 years and he's no longer speaking or disrupting society and dominant culture's message. Believe it or not, Jesus suggests the same thing. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets that your ancestors killed. You decorate the monuments of godly people your ancestors destroy. And then you say, if we had been alive in those days, we would never have joined them in the killing of prophets. But in you saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Jesus acknowledges that whenever there is a message that comes along to disrupt society, a message that challenges dominant culture, or a message that calls us back to a truth we have long ignored, rather than dealing with what's in our face, we would rather extinguish it all together. As we near the conclusion of this series, I would like to propose to you the ways that we attempt as a society to extinguish the light. In the days when Elijah would speak, Israel was not what it once was. The prime, the heyday of the nation had been passed up, and yet the kings refused to let the good old days go. Some might suggest they wanted to make Israel great again, but I digress. The kingdom was extremely divided. Actually, I mean that literally. It was literally divided. Power and greed had entered into the main mindset of the Israelites and their leaders and they would, they would place whatever gods gave them political gain. They would place whatever idols they felt would, would win them more supporters as the forefront of their ministries as opposed to the commandments and the law of the God of Israel that got them there. Enter the prophets. The role of the prophets would be to speak on behalf of the God of Israel, to, to hold Israel accountable to the agreements, to the, to the, to, to the nature of the covenant that they, that they all swore to uphold. 
and to call out the idolatry and the injustice, reminding Israel of their true calling, which was to carry on the light. And for Elijah specifically, he went up against this king named Ahab. And so when we pick up in our reading in 1 Kings, Elijah had just gone head to head with Ahab. He had just confronted the king guilty of idolatry and injustice. He went directly to him and said, oh, you got prophets. Oh, you have other gods. Oh, you want to talk about, you want to talk about these other people. You want to forget about the God of Israel. You want to forget the God who delivered us from slavery. You want to forget the God who saw us through the wilderness. You want to forget the God who placed that crown on David's head. You want to forget about that God. Big bet. Why don't you bring to me all the prophets of your God, Baal or whatever you call them. Why don't you go ahead and bring them out here? Let me go toe to toe with each and every one of them. Outnumbered 450 to 1. Elijah stood toe-to-toe and watched them drop, watched them fall, because not a single thing that they could call on, not a single ounce of wisdom, not a single miraculous act could be matched in comparison to the God of Israel. Elijah had just dropped 450 prophets, had just stood publicly, and prove the God that he proclaims is trying to hold Israel accountable. And then word gets back to Jezebel. Word gets back to Jezebel, who she's got a little bit of a track record. No, we're not talking about that track record. I'm talking about the fact that she had a history of eliminating the prophets of the God of Israel. She had a habit of if people would speak out and try to remind Israel where they came from, if people would speak out and try to hold the Israelites accountable to God, she'd get rid of them. She would extinguish them. She would try to mute that message. And so on par for her brand, Jezebel says to Elijah, I'm going to kill you too. May the God strike me down. If I don't see to it that you are dead by the end of the day. Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah and Elijah runs. Now I want to pause here because I want to point something out over and over as we read in 1 Kings. Over and over as we read the story of Elijah, we see this phrase, the word of the Lord came to him. In other words, God would would speak intimately to Elijah and Elijah was faithful to obey but in this case as we read in verses 1 2 3 and 4 it does not say the word of the Lord came to Elijah in other words God did not tell Elijah to run and Elijah had done such a great job of obeying and listening to God amidst difficult circumstances but in this case for some reason I don't know probably because his livelihood was on the line he ran away God did not tell him to run away. It's amazing. It's amazing how Elijah had just experienced such a significant victory. 
It's amazing how Elijah was just outnumbered. It's amazing how Elijah just called on miraculous acts of God, saw it through, proved the Lord Almighty, and yet when his life was threatened, forgot his theology entirely and ran away. Elijah reacted. See, the powers of this world will always prefer to extinguish the light. The powers of this world will always prefer to get rid of the truth of God. Why? Because they have power to protect. They have position to protect. They act out of this thing we call self-preservation. That message threatens my fragility. I don't want that to rise up, so let's go ahead and get rid of it. But Elijah, Elijah also acts out of self-preservation, doesn't he? Because there's a big threat that just said, I'm going to kill you. And he believed him because they were serious. And so he ran. Our natural reaction is, in most instances, to preserve ourselves first, isn't it? Our natural reaction in most instances is to not do the radical and godly thing necessarily unless the radical and godly thing is stay safe. When I think about the way the world has come to treat the truth of our Lord, I can't help but think of the way my middle child specifically argues with me. I love her to death and someday she'll Listen back to this, and she'll be like, Dad, why did you call me out like that? Because, Kaylee, you tripping. I think about sometimes she'll just, I'll just hear her say things to her older sister or to, or to me, just so matter-of-factly. And when I look at her, and I'm like, Kaylee, that's not true. She looks at me like I'm stupid. And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, okay, well, you're five, and that's wrong. And she's like, Okay, well, you're old, and no, it's not. And she'll ruthlessly argue with me about what's true, even though she's wrong. She will ruthlessly work hard to get rid of whatever truth I'm telling her because I don't want that to be true. Aren't we all just little kids in that way? We can be confronted and face-to-face with the truth, but I don't want that to be true. And so I refuse to accept it. What's the truth that you refuse to accept from the Lord right now? In what ways have you made maybe a subconscious, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt, maybe a subconscious effort to extinguish the light? What is it that you refuse to hear? What are the words that you've changed just a little bit to try to get rid of that truth? Oh, God, God doesn't need me to tithe. God doesn't need me to tithe. He sees my finances. He knows I can't afford to give money right now. So let me go ahead and just give a small percentage of whatever time I perceive to have rather than a part of my finances, and that'll suffice. God, God didn't literally mean 
He wanted his people to be one people. God didn't literally mean he wanted his people to be one people unified under the one banner that unifies us all, and that is the banner of Jesus Christ. He didn't literally mean that. It's a metaphor. If he literally meant it, he knows I might have to lay down some of my preferences about the way that I want church to be and actually be amongst different people. This is probably the one. God's take on relationships and marriage is archaic. God isn't literally holding me to that standard. Because otherwise, I'd actually have to put boundaries on my relationships. Otherwise, who knows when I'd get to have sex? Oh, you didn't like that one? You want me to move on? All right, I'll move on. I'll move on. How have you chosen self-preservation over the commandments of our Lord? How have you seen yourself guilty of saving yourself before you preserve the commandments of our Lord? Well, if I try and stay true to the light, though, or if I try to take the truth, if I try to take the light with me over there, though, they'll scrutinize me. I might, I might lose something. I might lose some friends. I might... I might lose my social standing. Are you listening to the truth and to the words of God? Or are you swayed by dominant culture messaging? Now look, I know what it is. I understand. Some of you are looking at me right now like, Pastor, you don't get it. Easy for you to say, right? And I know I present as perfect, but listen, I know it's hard. I don't know why you laugh so hard at that. It's difficult. Look back at 1 Kings 19. Look back at Elijah's headspace. Look at his mental. He ran out into the wilderness and pleaded with God to take his life. He said, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't do it anymore, please. I'm more miserable than any of them living miserably. Please, end it now. Take my life. We see an extremely discouraged Elijah. One who has just experienced a tremendous victory. But listen, Because of the threat and the displeasure of one person, Elijah feels defeated. You ever felt that way? You just watched how God miraculously worked in your life. You just watched the mountain God just moved. You just watched the hurdle and the barrier that you were just able to overcome by the strength and the power and the will of our Savior. And then one person ain't pleased about it because it goes against their agenda and you feel defeated. 
You watch the miracles and the ways that God has intervened on your behalf because one person, probably in your family, got something negative to say about it. It's an L all the way around. That's where Elijah's at. We've seen Elijah experience miraculous provision. The raising of a dead child. Acts of God over nature and victory went outnumbered 450 to 1, but he said he's had enough. I can't do it alone, God. Take away my life. And how did the Lord answer? I wish I had time to have some more fun with this. How did the Lord answer? He baked the man a cake. I don't have more time to spend on it than to say this right now. If you see your brother or sister struggling, the ministry of the Lord says, bake him a cake. And can I just freely offer? I'm struggling. Isn't it beautiful? How the Lord was able to answer with exactly what Elijah needed. He placed the food and the drink that Elijah would need to regain his strength right next to his head. And Elijah ate and drank. And then he went back to sleep. And an angel had to wake him up again like, no, 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 no. You need to eat more than that. You need to drink more than that because the journey ahead is too drank for the strength is too great for the strength level that you got right now. Go ahead and keep going. I'm going to keep providing. I'm going to keep giving you what you need. I'm going to keep directing you to lean into what I've given you because I know what's ahead and I know that right here lies the strength that you need. Isn't it beautiful? That when we feel like we can't get any more lonely, when we feel like we're down and out, when we're pleading with the Lord to just take our lives and end it now, isn't it beautiful how the Lord is so faithful to give us exactly what we need to say, look, not only do I see where you're at, but I know what's coming and I got you. I think of the way that, I think of the way that people run a marathon. Admittedly, this might surprise you. I'm very uninformed in this area, right? But I've seen it on TV a couple times, the highlights and such. And I know that as you're running a marathon, there are food and water stations along the way. Not to say that the people at those food and water stations are going to run and finish this marathon for you, but they're going to be at certain markers along the path that you're supposed to be on to ensure that you have what you need to get there. A lot of us, I know, I can see it in your faces. I can feel it in the room. I see it in the absence. I see it in my inbox and in my text messages. A lot of us are feeling the same heaviness and the same weight that Elijah felt back then. I know you are. I know you are. A lot of us are carrying it. Because we've been trying to fight against a world desperate to extinguish our light. You ever hear the phrase that the world don't want to see you win? That's actually a pop culture reference that's factual. The world does not want to see you win. They desperately want to extinguish your light. And because we've been trying to carry on this light, because we've been trying to carry on this faith, because we've been trying to hold on to this truth in the midst of a world that's throwing everything they got at us, we're tired. We don't want to do it anymore. Just end it, Lord. 
But have you asked the Lord for what you need? Have you asked the Lord for what you need? Maybe you have, but have you looked for it? What if Elijah would have stayed asleep? What if at the angel's nudge, he'd have said, nah, five more minutes. What if at the angel's second nudge, he'd have said, nah, let me just go back to bed. Keep binging Netflix. Have you taken it, though? Have you taken what the Lord has extended to you? Another means of self-preservation is I hear this message of like, of like, I don't ask for help. I don't accept no type of help. Can I rebuke that real quick? That's ridiculous. That's foolishness. That's how you die. That's, that's silly. Stop doing that. Have you taken the help that the Lord has offered you? Man, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we're praying for one thing. God is offering us a solution, but because we've gotten so locked in for the way that it needs to come, we completely miss the blessing that he's put on our front porch. I know you're tired. And I know it doesn't seem like it's true, but the Lord is faithful to provide what you need. And then look what happens with Elijah. God leads leads him back to a familiar place. A familiar place. You might not catch it in this specific reference in 1 Kings 19, but it's the same place where the commandments were given to Moses. God takes him back to where a lot of this accountability started. God takes him back to another previously experienced victory. God takes him back to another point of deliverance from the wilderness. God takes him back to when the presence of God felt so, so close. He takes him back to a point, and the place in and of itself should have reminded him. And God asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, look, I've been out here killing it for you, God, and I don't have it anymore. (laughs) But this time, there's no lightning, there's no tablets, there's no movie made about it. This time the elements of the world get turned up. There's a strong wind that comes through, and as this wind comes through, it begins to rip apart the mountain that he's standing on. As this wind comes through, it begins to tear away the rock that Elijah is tempting to stand and hear God from. See, strong words, strong thoughts, strong messaging come and try to tear apart the very foundation that we stand on, doesn't it? Strong winds are constantly thrown at us trying to rattle the rock that we're trying to stand on, doesn't it? And admittedly, it's easy for us to get caught up in those winds, isn't it? Constantly on our our Facebook feeds. Constantly on whichever news network we prefer. If YouTube TV doesn't pull it, put ESPN and Disney back on there. It's my shameless plug, doing what I can for the people, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) The text says, but God wasn't in the strong wind. God wasn't a part of that. A lot of us are getting blown by these these thoughts and by by these cultural ideologies acting as if they're God and they're not. A lot of us are going with the cultural winds acting as if God is 
given the thumbs up of approval and he's not. God's not in the wind. It said, then after the wind, there was an earthquake. Oh, if that didn't shake you, certainly this will. Let's go ahead and let's shake things up. And there are going to be things that happen, some of them natural, that are going to shake our world. There are going to be things that, that once we feel like we get a good perspective on where life's heading, it shakes us all up and we lose our bearings. Some of us are experiencing that right now. And we call out and we look to God as if he's the one that's shaking the snow globe that we're in, trying to see what we're going to do. We call out to God, but God is not in it. And then after the earthquake, a fire comes. Oh, you're going to stand by your conviction, huh? Oh, you're going you're gonna to say that your foundation is a solid rock. Well, let me turn up the heat then. Let me turn up the heat. Let me see if I can get you to move your feet when they're hot on the bottom. Let me see if I can go ahead and get you to melt under pressure. And a lot of us feel as if the heat in our lives are being, is being turned up right now. God, you must want me to melt. You must want me to crumble. But can I tell you something else? God's not in it. He's not in the fire. He said, then after the fire, there was a stillness. Y'all sang about that a few minutes ago, huh? There was a stillness, a quiet. And there was the Lord's voice. And what he came and promised was provision. I know we read that latter half and we're talking about you're going to anoint this person, then this person's going to give to this person, anoint that person, that person's going to. What God is saying is, I got you. What God is saying is, there's a system in place. You've seen me work through nature, you've seen me work through miracles, you've seen me do the impossible. Now, watch me work within the system that the world provides because, yep, I can do that too. God is letting him know that he is going to provide, that there is a promise of provision. He says, watch me work through this system now, and it will all work out for the advancement of the light. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And we love that passage because it looks cool when we put it up on our wall. What? We love it. But the context of that passage lends itself to a very similar experience to what Elijah goes through. It says that God is triumphant over war. God is triumphant over famine. God is triumphant over the winds of this world. God is triumphant over, over the things that shake our very foundations. God is triumphant against the flames that try to get us to melt and crumble. God is triumphant over all of those things. And you know what I want you to do? Be still and know that. I know it's like the worst thing you can say to somebody who's stressed. Don't ever say this to me if you see me stressed. But I feel like what Psalm 46 says is, bro, relax. In the midst of all that is going on in the world and in your life, have you allowed yourself to be still before him? Have you stopped moving and scurrying enough? 
Have you stopped panic talking and processing enough for him to speak to you? Have you stopped complaining about your circumstance long enough for him to talk? Have you stopped crying out to God that you want him to end it all now long enough for him to talk? Have you stayed quiet and still long enough to be reminded of the faith that got you this far in the first place? And in the midst of it all, do you have the faith to remember that throughout all the elements the world can throw at you, God's voice and presence is faithful to be there? God is behind it all. God is constant. Winds got to stop eventually. Earthquakes got to stop eventually. Fire will burn out eventually. But God's voice in the stillness and the quiet is still going to be there. Do you have the faith that God can, has, and will withstand all the tricks of the enemy? And while we may stumble, he never will. While we may quake at one heck of a storm, he's not concerned. Sometimes it seems crazy, but what we need to do to be able to receive that hope is to be still and to let the Lord do what he's going to do. To not try and take it in our own hands. To not try and preserve ourselves. Because he's not surprised by any of it. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. It says that he came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believe, that he is who he says he is, that he is going to do the things that he has always told you that he is going to do, he gives the right to be children of God. What are you saying? Let me put it to you plainly. It's a tough season. I know it is. It's a tough time. And we want to just react. We want to get out. We want to get away. We want this to stop. And a lot of it, a lot of it can make us feel like we're by ourselves. Can I tell you something that God is trying to clearly communicate? That's the way the world works. The world doesn't want the message to get out. The world doesn't want the light to continue. The enemy desperately wants to extinguish what God has carried on for generations. The enemy is grasping at their final straws. They know that the time has come and indeed it is here now that the kingdom of the Lord is present. And they are desperately trying anything they can to see if maybe they can eke one out at the last second. But they can't. The enemy wants to capitalize on the fact that we feel that pressure. The enemy wants to capitalize on our loneliness. The enemy wants to isolate us. 
The enemy wants us to go back to bed because you're no threat to him there. But when we allow ourselves to be still before the Lord, he is faithful to move in powerful ways because his mission, as made plain through the person of Jesus, and we will more explicitly talk about in a few days, his mission is to bring his children back to the light, safe from the darkness, and redeemed for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we know that your words are timeless and they are true. God, we know that you carry a message of love and hope and unity. And we know that that threatens the systems and the structure of our world. And because of that, the enemy throws a lot of voices in our face. Throws a lot of obstacles in our path. And God, while we anxiously await the day where the only voice we hear forever is yours. The only voice we follow and prompt forever will be yours. We ask forgiveness for the ways that we've struggled to do that here and now. God, we know that as you desperately, actively bring your children back into the light, we want to be a part of that. So, Lord, give us the faith. Remind us of the love that's carried us through. Lord, give us this day, our daily bread. Keep us safe because we know you're greater and help us see this through until you call us all home. Pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.